Glad you're here. If you're at home, I'm glad you're with us. We are talking about different gifts that are found in the scriptures. They're described in a, um, a lot of different ones, use the same descriptor as gift. And so we've been looking at that. I think maybe the only thing to have in common is that God is the gift giver and we're the receiver. And so I've been looking at that. I've actually gone back and tried to understand if when it says I'm giving you a gift, that that meant something to, different to ancient people. And it looks like they practiced gift giving, not as, as widely as we did. They gave it to people they love and cared for. Uh, but nothing compares to what we experience in our culture right now. In fact, throughout history, the commercialization that we have is unprecedented. And with it, uh, almost comes like a level of expectations with this gift-giving thing. I expect this season to get what I want. And when I don't get what I want, I could be upset about this. And it doesn't take long. You can easily Google this. Just Google um, a kid who uh, doesn't get what they want for Christmas. And, uh, and I mean, some of them, they're little kids. And so their reaction is just funny. They don't know any better. They don't have any emotional intelligence. They're just, I mean, they're just responding and acting and kind of throwing a temper. And I, I think those are funny. But there are videos of older kids and adults that borders on like spoiled brat kind of behavior. And to make matters worse, there are actually parents out there right now who are giving their kids terrible presents on purpose, filming them to get their reaction so they can get their 15 minutes of fame. This started eight years ago when Jimmy Kimmel started a little section in his talk show called, I Gave My Kid a Terrible Present. And he would run these clips. And um, yes, I'm going to have to show you part of one, okay? So um, check this out. A car, yeah. Maybe on Christmas Day, Santa will bring you a car. <laughs> there are adults that do what this kid is about What's to do to broccoli. Don't you like broccoli?
human behavior was put on display for us, right? His brother is holding a potato. And what does he think about that gift? That's the best. And I got the worst. And this is unfair. I believe he would have said that about everything. Uh, that little girl, six years old. Taco season, he can't even make that. That made sense to me, right? Her throwing that away, that made sense. It's all kind of funny stuff. Why did I show you that video? Because I think there's a chance that the gift I'm going to talk to you about today, we kind of have a similar response. Um, if, if you're new to Jesus, you've had this gift in your life. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this from when you were little to, and it's gotten old to you. And, and as a culture, we like the new thing. We want to be marveled, challenged with something I haven't heard before. But don't tell me something that I've heard from the past. I don't want to be reminded of this. And I, I kind of wrestle with this as a pastor because I think sometimes people do need to be reminded. And it's helpful because I found that the Apostle Peter was wrestling with the same thing. Look at what he said. This is in First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He says, so I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in a tent of this body. It's worth noting that um, some people believe that this was near the end of Peter's life. And he was kind of examining what was still important. And so when, his, when he said, as long as I'm in the tent of this body, he was literally thinking, I'm not going to be alive much longer. But what's important for me to do is to remind people of stuff they already know. Like if you're curious, if you want to have a cool devotional time this, this week, go and read what he says before he says, I want to remind you. Why does he do this? Did you see his motive? He said, I think it's right. I think it's right for me to do this. Why? Because there's a difference between knowing something and acting on something. And Peter knew that. He knew that this truth was firmly established in them, but he wanted them to live based on it. He wanted it to change their lives. So that's, I'm, that's what I'm going to fall back on this morning. I've decided um, that I'm going to remind you of a truth that's already firmly planted in you in hopes as you rediscover and relook at it this morning that will change the way you live. It will keep changing the way that you live. So that's where we're going. And I'm hoping that by the end we'll have a different response than that video that we saw there where we're just hoping for the things that we want instead of being grateful for some things that God's done for us. Now the gift that I want to talk to you about is found in Ephesians chapter 2. And before we get to the gift, Paul, um, Paul's writing here, and he highlights a problem. And it's in verse 1. He just makes it as straight as possible. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Who's you? Well, I suppose the people that he's writing to in Ephesians, but it would have worked for anybody reading this. In fact, this is one of those global things. This is about you. This is about me. We all find ourselves facing death that's the problem you're dead and why because we did stuff that was wrong there were things that we have done uh, actions 
sometimes inaction, sometimes thoughts we have, sometimes motives that we carry, sometimes attitudes that took us away from God. And most of us would say, yeah, there have been times I haven't been quite perfect in life. And I would say there were probably times that you were far worse than that, right? You made a choice that harmed somebody else and wasn't right and good. And we've all done it. We've all done it. And the problem is it results in death. He goes on in verse 3 to make sure he understand, that we understand it's everybody. Like you can't count yourself out of this. In verse 3 it says, all of us also lived among them at one time. Who's them? People who were facing death. You did wrong and you're facing death. We've all lived there. And then he describes how these people lived. He says, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. What he just described here is what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve elevated their desires to be the most important decision-making tool that they would use. And they decided, what I want, what I desire, is the most important thing. And that steered their ship. He said, look, that's happening to all of us. And so we're making all of these horrible decisions. It's running us aground. And now we're all facing death from it. And then he goes on and he says this. It's at the end of it. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, I want to be careful here. I, I like the NIV. I read out of the NIV up here all the time. Because when they translated the NIV, they were attempting to make sure they could put it in words that you would understand. They wanted you to be able to grasp the grasp the concepts and the idea, and so they translated as close to modern English as possible. And on occasion, when, uh, when they do that, they don't translate it literally, and sometimes it can shade the meaning. In this case, I think this is what's happening. Because when you read what, how he ends this, you almost get the idea that because I've sinned, because there's death involved, I deserve wrath, anger, punishment, judgment from God. And we think that's what he's talking about here. But when you go and you read it in the literal, it's not the point at all. In fact, it would, it would be translated something like this. Your nature has become people of wrath, people of anger. The, by your very nature of living is full of strife. You want stuff. And you've decided that your desires are the way to get that. And so you chase your desire and you chase your desire, but it leaves you empty all the time. So you keep grappling, grappling for more and you're kind of grasping at it. And it leaves you short. And it fills your life with strife and anger. And he says, listen, you want to know how big this problem is? You're facing death. And the way you're facing it is ugly because it's full of strife. That's our life. He goes, listen, this is a problem. And it's everybody because we've all had these desires. We've all elevated ourselves above others. And then he gets to verse 4, and he says this. But, but, but I don't know about you. But generally, when I say the word but, I will shortly be in trouble later, right? Because my wife will be explaining how I did something that was inappropriate, or I said something that was insensitive, 
and I'll hear her out, and I'll say, yes, I understand, but, right? It's like having a conversation with a friend, and you're having a conversation with a friend, and they say, I agree with everything that you just said, but, which means I don't agree with everything that you just said, and I'm going to tell you why I disagree with you, right? Which is what I, I, I just did with my wife. I said, but, and I'm about to tell you why I should be excused for my inappropriate behavior this time, right? Because there's a reason, there's a good reason for my but. Now, now listen, if that's what's happening here, this is shocking. Because what Paul just said was that we're facing death, and we're facing it in an ugly way. And it's all of us. And then he says, but, like there could be an exception to this. And if there is an exception to this, I think I'd want to pay attention. I think I'd want to know what that is. He says, but, in verse 4, and he goes on, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. So up to this point, we still don't know what the but is, but we know why. If there's a but hanging out there that changes this whole story, it's because of God's grace and his mercy. And then he says this. This is verse 5. But God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. By grace, you've been saved. This is a complete flip. This is upside down. See, what you had coming was death. And what he suggests that you could have instead is life. By the way, not just any life. Do you see that? You could have life with Christ. Almighty creator of the universe would like to actually partner with you, be involved in your life, engage it with you, walk alongside you. Unbelievable. After what we've done, after what we had coming, Unbelievable. And then he adds that part. It's by grace you've been saved. What? So the mechanism is grace. What is that? I, I think the best way to think about grace is its favor. It, it's somebody, um, somebody did something for you that you don't deserve. They showed you love. They showed you kindness. They offered you hope or peace. When you had something else coming instead, they gave you favor. By the way, what we see here in this section of scripture is not normal, and we all know it. You want to know the normal story? Here's the normal story. You get what you deserve or worse. Am I wrong? We, we believe that story because as parents, we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to convince our kids that that's true, right? How often do you talk to them about you get what you deserve? The effort that you put in is the effort that you get out. The level, of, the level of dedication that you show will inspire. You get what you deserve. IT people, right? They deal with you get what you deserve when they look at you and say, when you clicked on that little kitty cat spam thing and it crashed your computer, you got what you deserved. Don't do that. Don't do that kind of stuff, but you you get what you deserve. Teachers deal with this with students. I didn't give you an F. You earned that. The level of effort that you put into this work 
is was reflected when, this, when I gave you this grade. When you get pulled over by a police officer because you were going too fast and they give you a ticket, you deserve it, right? You earned that. You know how ingrained this is in us? This idea is that we get what we deserve is at the very core of injustice too. Because when I feel like somebody has been unjust to me, I feel like they are treating me in a way that I don't deserve. And they're right. If, if, if you didn't deserve that and you were treated wrongly, that's injustice. And our, and our everything in us says this is wrong. You should get what you deserve. Except in this case, it breaks all the rules. It's upside down. You, you don't get what you had coming because death was the thing that you had coming. Now, I want you to see how Paul describes this just a little further down. Uh, but before that, I, let's do this. We'll do this real quick as an illustration because um, I, th- I think you can buy into this idea uh, of you get what you deserve, but let's do this with a, with a gift exchange because that's a series, right? Um, if there's a gift exchange thing that we do with family and friends and relatives and all that sort of thing that you understand you get what you deserve, it's the white elephant gift exchange, right? When you come to a white elephant gift exchange, what do you expect to get? Something that you can use later in life? <laughs> Probably not, right? Why? What did somebody else just bring from their house? Something that they didn't have the courage to throw away, but they're going to let you do it, right? I believe this was invented by somebody who was trying to help people who have a problem with hoarding. And they said, we'll just switch with you, and we're going to give you something so obnoxious, you'll throw it away instead of storing it in your house. And you'll remove something from your house that we can throw away, right? The ob- obnoxious kind of gifts. So you don't come to a white elephant gift exchange expecting something grand. In fact, you... Um, let's find out what you got. Some of you brought a gift today and you exchanged it. So I'd like you to open those right now. And I'd like to find out if anybody gets something that they think, oh, yeah, I could use this. Okay, they're slowly opening. That's good. (laughs) Anybody? Anybody? He's looking at it like it can't possibly be what it said it is. It is absolutely. I brought Mike Steele a stainless steel enema bucket. (laughs) I don't know if he'll use it or not, but that's what you expect when you come to a white elephant gift exchange, right? Obnoxious gift that he's probably going to throw away because, Mike, here's what I can guarantee. It's probably only been used once or twice, so it's a pretty good gift. Pretty good gift. It doesn't have a lot of wear on it. (laughs) Oh, oh. now here's the thing. (laughs) If somebody opened a gift and there was a $50 bill in there, you would go, 
What just happened? That's favor. That's favor. That's coming to a white elephant gift exchange, expecting to go home and probably throw the thing away because it was meant to be funny. And instead, you get something that you could use. That's what's happening here. And listen how, listen how um, Paul describes this. This is verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved. He said that before. He said it's through faith. And then he says this. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. Talked last week about how you get an uneven gift. Somebody gives you something and you can't pay it back. And that's exactly what this is. Because the place he finds himself is a, you know what? I earned death. I had that coming. And instead, you're offering me life. It's shocking. It's unbelievable. It's like you did the work to get an F on the paper, and the teacher still gives you a B. It's like you get pulled over. I had a friend last week talk to me on Sunday after church, and he got pulled over that week, and he rolled down the window, and he said, I was going too fast, wasn't I? And the officer said, yep, you were. And so he's sitting in his, he's sitting in his car, and um, he knows what he's earned. And he's just waiting. You know, they're doing all their standard checks and everything. And the officer comes forward and just gets into a conversation with him. And they just start talking for a little while. And he hands him a keychain and a little sticker. And he goes, hey, I want you to have a great day. He goes, what's, what's happening here? I, I know I was speeding. He goes, yeah, I know. Well, um, we're not going to worry about it. Just don't do that anymore and, and go about that. And he goes, I was blown away because, he goes, I expected a ticket. I got a keychain. It's not a lot, but it was still something, and it wasn't what I deserved. It wasn't what I had earned in the process. This is, this is exactly how this is unfolding in our lives, except it's extreme. You understand, because of the choices that we had made, because of the attitudes that we carry, because of the actions or inactions of our lives, because of the things that we have thought, the things that we have done, we were on a path where we earned death. And God stepped into the midst of that and decided to show you favor, decided to give you love and kindness, didn't do anything to deserve it, that opens up a different kind of life for you. Instead of a life that's full of striving, that's full of anger, what's available is joy and peace and hope. All because of a gift that's given to you and me. This is a kind of incredible thing. And the, the reason it's so um, difficult for us to wrap our minds around, I think, sometimes is that following Jesus is hard. You make sacrifices, you make choices that you want to honor him with. And in the midst of that struggle to follow Jesus when it's hard, there's also distractions that kind of flow into your life. I, let's be honest, we have more distractions on our phones 
at our hand than most ancient people had in their whole lifetime. And what happens is the truth of this, the truth that God gave you grace, favor, when you didn't deserve it, gets lost in the noise of living. It gets lost as we look for something new and exciting. And instead of having the response that I can't believe I've been afforded a kind of life that has at the center of it joy, hope, and peace that, that allows me to live fully because of what Jesus did, we kind of have some ho-hum responses. I'm wondering what it would look like if you reopened the gift of grace this year and instead you responded like this. Instead of the first video, maybe the second video is more closer to you. Band for those who don't know it. He just found out he's officially adopted by the family. That's what that means. These are glasses that help you see if you are a colorblind person. They help you see in color. They might, but some people see the effect right away. goes on to scream, I'm going to wear them tonight. Bananas, feet pajamas, tickets. Why are they so excited? Because they had a heart full of gratefulness. They had a heart that overwhelmed and kind of consumed them 
just want you to know we have something greater to celebrate than that kind of stuff. We had lives that were headed in one direction, and now they're not, and it's nothing that you and I did. It's a gift. It's a gift handed straight to your life. And I'm hoping that maybe this week, maybe this whole season, as you see presents sitting around, you remember that God gave you an incredible gift that changed the whole direction of your life. And you won't just know it. You'll act differently because of it. I'm hoping that will start right now. They're going to play a song that allows you to worship and express that joy you have for the gift that God's given. I hope you'll give your whole soul to it and sing. I hope you'll stand with me.